Our Old Testament reading comes from 2 Kings chapter 2, verse 9b through 15. Greater works. When they had crossed, Elijah said to Elisha, Tell me what I may do for you before I am taken from you. Elisha said, Please let me inherit a double share of your spirit. He responded, You have asked a hard thing, yet if you see me as I am being taken from you, it will be granted you. If not, it will not. As they continued walking and talking, a chariot of fire and horses of fire separated the two of them, and Elijah ascended in a whirlwind into heaven. Elisha kept watching and crying out, Father, Father, the chariots of Israel and its horsemen. But when he could no longer see him, he grasped his own clothes and tore them in two pieces. He picked up the mantle of Elijah that had fallen from him and went back and stood on the bank of the Jordan. He took the mantle of Elijah that had fallen from him and struck the water saying, Where is the Lord, the God of Elijah? When he had struck the water, the water was parted to the one side and to the other, and Elisha went over. When the company of prophets who were at Jericho saw him at a distance, they declared, The spirit of Elijah rests on Elisha. This is the word of God for the people of God. We have two more readings to do today. And what we're going to do is we're going to marry these together, um, these scripture passages. So try to like look, look for a theme as um, I'm reading through this. Our New Testament scripture, the first one is from John chapter 14, verses 12 through 17. Very truly, I tell you, the one who believes in me will also do the works that I do and, in fact, will do greater works than these because I am going to the Father. I will do whatever you ask in my name so that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If in my name you ask me for anything, I will do it. If you love me, you will keep my commandments and I will ask the Father and he will give you another advocate to be with you forever. This is the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him because he abides with you and he will be in you. And then we're going to move on to Acts chapter 1 verses 8 through 9. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. When he said this, as they were watching, he was lifted up, and a cloud took him, took him out of their sight. And this is the word of God for us, the people of God. Well, last week we celebrated Pentecost. When the Holy Spirit came upon the people uh, in Jerusalem and ushered in the age of the church. And can you imagine that wonderful day? Imagine being there. That would have been awesome. And what was emphasized during that sermon was that we, as Christians, as believers in Jesus, who is the Christ, have the Holy Spirit living inside of us. 
And furthermore, because we have the Holy Spirit living inside of us, we are empowered to carry out all that God is asking us to do. Which is this. You ready for this? Go out and change the world. That's a, that's a high order if you ask me. No pressure on that one right there. So here we are one week later, and with this sermon, I'm still focused on Pentecost because there is just so much to say about what happened at Pentecost and what continues to happen because of Pentecost, because of the Holy Spirit in us. And so today we have this Old Testament scripture about two prophets, one named Elijah and the other named Elisha. And you may be wondering, what do these two have to do with Pentecost? And I'm telling you everything, everything. We'll get to that because in order to answer that question, you have to know a little about who Elijah and Elisha are. Now, some of you may know, some of you may not know, some of you haven't, maybe haven't heard the story in such a long time. So I'm just going to cover the highlights here, okay? Well, first of all, there's the issue with the pronunciation, right? You notice the two names sound um, familiar, um, and it is Elijah, listen for that, and listen for the um, Elisha, okay? So with that, you really want to, we can move forward to this, and that's the distinction between the two. Um, Elijah and Elisha were both Old Testament prophets during the time when Israel was ruled by kings. You can picture that. And Elijah... We're going to talk, talk about him for a little bit. Elijah prophesied that a drought would come for several years. And guess what? It happened. He prophesied it. Elijah also raised a boy from the dead. That's a pretty big deal. Elijah also went up against Queen Jezebel's, we know that name, Queen Jezebel's prophets and destroyed them. That's a pretty big feat, right? And that caused Elijah to be hunted by Queen Jezebel. And boy, did she hunt her. I mean, hunt, hunt Elijah. <laughs> okay, well, you know. But, um, so Queen Jezebel hunted Elijah ruthlessly. So much that he fled and went all the way down to Mount Sinai because she hunted him. And he was in fear for his life. So Elijah was just this giant, giant of a figure in the Old Testament. And he actually makes an appearance in the New Testament when Jesus took Peter, James, and John up on the mountain where he was transfigured before them. And the disciples that were on that mountain, Peter, James, and John, got to see Jesus in his glorified form. And during that time on the mountain, when Jesus is in his glorified presence and they're witnessing this, Jesus is talking to two other people. One of them was Moses. The other one was Elijah, the very prophet that we are talking about today with this Old Testament scripture. So that is just a broad picture of who Elijah the prophet was. What about Elisha? Let's talk about Elisha. Elijah was Elisha's mentor. So Elisha was basically a student of Elijah, and he was the one that the baton was being handed down to. He was Elijah's successor. But let's pause for a second and talk about this. Can you imagine having Elijah as your teacher, all those things I just said? Guess who my teacher is, right? Imagine having a teacher that you heard raise someone from the dead. 
That's not normal activity in case, you know, you need a reminder, <laughs> okay? Can you imagine having a teacher that defeated Queen Jezebel's prophets and called fire down from heaven? Top that one. You can't. You can't top that. But Elisha, he's a different type of student. And rather than just say, I'll never measure up to my teacher, I'll never be able to do any of those things or half, of, half as much as those, I'll just be happy with whatever the day brings. He doesn't think that way. He doesn't see things that way. Instead of just saying, I can't measure up to my teacher, Elisha envisioned himself doing twice as much as his teacher. Not half as much, twice as much. And that's a pretty amazing thing, you know, considering who the teacher is, right? And you see this in the passage today where Elisha says to his teacher, please let me inherit a double share of your spirit. Now notice he didn't ask. That is not a question. It's more of a demand. Let this be. That's pretty cocky if you ask me, right? Um, you know, to ask something like that, you know, during a walk, they're walking along. Hey, by the way, <laughs> let me, you know, let me have a double portion. That's confidence if I've ever seen it right there in the scripture. And again, we're not talking about normal stuff here. We're not talking about normal stuff like let me have a raise, boss. I need a vacation. Let me have a vacation. Please say yes. Let me be able to get approved for this loan. Let me pass that test. We're not talking about normal things here. This is more in lines with, let me exceed your position. Let me surpass your ability. And we're talking about an ability on an entirely different level here, aren't we? A supernatural God level is what we're talking about. Elisha desired to do miracles for God. Now, check this out. When I read the scriptures and I read the miracles, I'm not in the habit of saying, yes, I want to do that, right? What you normally do is you read the miracles and you, you accept it and you're like, that's pretty awesome. I'll never do that. I mean, that's really generally the attitude that we take when we read the scriptures. Rarely do we read the scriptures with, with this confidence and say, I, wanna, I don't want to just do that. I want to surpass that. This is, this is what Elisha's his, his understanding is. That's what he's asking for. Elisha desired to do miracles, to be a miracle worker for God. And I think Elijah... His response to teacher is entirely appropriate when he says, you have asked a hard thing. <laughs> Can you imagine them walking and hearing that? Elisha, what you ask is a difficult thing. And you can almost picture a long pause after that, right? At least long enough to make Elisha feel a little deflated. Long enough for, an, oops, perhaps I shouldn't have said that. But then Elijah he continues to say, yet, there is a yet here. If you see me as I am being taken from you, it will be granted to you. If not, if not, it will not. See, it's not up to Elijah, and he knew that. And I love what happens next. The scripture states that as they were walking and talking, picture this, you need to picture this, because it's just, 
It's such a hard thing to imagine, okay? But as they're walking along, a chariot of fire and horses of fire separated the two of them, and Elijah ascended in a whirlwind into heaven, and Elisha witnessed his teacher ascend. That's what happened. That's how the scripture reports it. And yes, Elisha went on to do twice as many works as Elijah. He was a miracle worker, and he went on to change the world around him because God's spirit rested on Elisha. Elisha, just like his teacher Elijah, was empowered by the Holy Spirit. Know that. And we have to accept that. So basically, here are the highlights. You ready for this? This is where I need your, you to pay attention, okay? Elijah did many miracles when he was with the people. He spent a good amount of time teaching Elisha. Then when the time came, Elijah ascended into the heavens while Elisha watched. And then God's spirit came down and rested on Elisha. And then Elisha went on to do greater works than Elijah. Let that sink in for a second. That's very interesting. It should sound very similar, especially in light of Pentecost, because in the New Testament, Jesus did many miracles and spent a significant amount of time teaching his disciples, and then when the time came, Jesus ascended into heaven while his disciples watched, and then God's Spirit came down and rested on his disciples, his apostles at Pentecost, all of whom went on to do greater works than Jesus. I love just showing you that right now. I just found so much pleasure in telling you that. Because not many people see that tie-in from the Old Testament to the New Testament. But if it's there, it's there all along, right there, right in front of us. You ever see, um, well, I know you have movie trailers when you're watching television, you see the movie trailer coming soon to a theater near you, and then they put the movie trailer in. Um, well, it's a little different now because they give, it's like you're watching the movie when you're watching the movie trailer. They're so long now, but there was a time, and you remember when movie trailers weren't, they were kind of vague, right? You knew the story, you got what was going on, you saw who the main characters were, and you wanted to go see that movie. Okay, But if you never got to see the movie, you'd be able to tell the story and explain it in some manner. But then you go to the movie theater and you see the movie and the bigger picture comes into view, right? You start understanding everything that that trailer was pointing to. The fog lifts. What a great movie that was. I didn't see that coming. Well, the Old Testament, in a manner, you can look at that way. That's like kind of a modern perspective of it. If you ever have to explain that to children, I think go that route right there. Because the New Testament is that bigger picture of everything that it's pointing to. So do you see how significant the Old Testament is in preparing the way for Jesus? And everything is fulfilled in Jesus. These two prophets... Elijah and Elisha foretold the story of Jesus, the apostles, and the coming of the Holy Spirit, not with their words. They didn't explicitly come out and say, this is what's going to happen, right? They told it with the events of their lives. And that is something only God can do. That is a God thing right there. We have a God who works through these patterns that are accounted for in the Scripture. 
That's why in the Gospels you read things like Scripture was fulfilled. How? In Jesus Christ. And even Jesus himself explicitly testifies to this after his resurrection. He opens the Scripture to them. I can imagine him telling this very story. Hey, you know Elijah and Elisha? Yeah, let me open that up to you. And this brings us to today's New Testament Scripture where Jesus himself is telling the disciples what is going to happen to them. And what he tells them is an echo of the events surrounding Elijah and Elisha, everything I just told you. That when he ascends into heaven, they will receive the Holy Spirit and then go on to do greater works than him. Listen to Jesus' words here. Very truly, I tell you, the one who believes in me will also do the works that I do. And in fact, this is a fact, will do greater works than these because I am going to the Father. I will do whatever you ask in my name so that the Father may be glorified in the Son. Well, that's very, very interesting. It's got a lot of odd stuff in there. God will do whatever you ask in his name. Remember Elisha desired to do great miracles and works for God? That was basically what he asked of his teacher, Elijah. He wasn't asking to do normal things. He wanted to do God things. And Jesus here is telling his disciples that he will do whatever they ask in his name. Well, let's put that into perspective, shall we? What would a true disciple of Jesus Christ ask for? What does a true disciple of Jesus Christ desire? A nice big house? A new car? the best career, popularity and acceptance among the masses to be liked, to be approved? I, I think not. Those are worldly desires. Things of prosperity and they are all about the self. But I will tell you, if you have these things, if you find yourself prosperous, there's nothing wrong with that. You've been entrusted with those things and you are to be a good steward of those things. I think it's wonderful when someone flourishes. I also think it's wonderful how someone else can flourish because of their flourishing. Okay, you see how that works? Okay. But we don't ask for things like that of God. What a new boat. I think God will say, why? You know, because I, and there, there it is right, because I. That's self-serving. So if those are not things that a true disciple would ask, what is? Is it that others know Jesus? Is that you're empowered to teach children? We're going to be doing that this week. Is it that people be freed from whatever is oppressing them? Is it that other people find good health and they're healthy? Those are good prayers, right? Because they're prayers of caring, prayers of love. And say, Father God, but if not, find a way, let them know how they can serve God in their state, right? Right? Is it that others know love and joy and kindness and the grace of God, not the wrath of God only, the love and joy that you experience, that God's kingdom reign in all the hearts of humanity? Does a disciple desire that thy kingdom come, thy will be done everywhere? And I guess what it comes down to is this. 
Do you truly desire and love God, or do you just want his stuff? Because I don't think that when Elisha was asking for a double share of his teacher's spirit, he was asking for his stuff. He wanted to serve God. He wasn't going like this. I can't wait till you go because I can't wait to get all your stuff. It's not about that. He wanted to serve God. So do you truly desire to be with God in relationship or are you only interested in what God can do for you? And is it enough for you to just be with God? How about this one? Is it enough to just be with God in worship? What if you came here today and worship was just all silence in the presence of God and we're just going to sit and enjoy God's presence? That, that's a big one, right? You know, when you get into arguments with um, people you love, right, and they ask, what do you want? You, know, you don't sit there and say, well, I want this, I want that. I hope you don't. What they, you know what they want to hear, right? I want to be with you. I want your presence. I want your time. That's why today, after the prayer of confession, we had a time of silence to be with God. Is that enough? Or are we looking for something else? Are we looking to be entertained, maybe? I don't know. Are we looking for big performance? I don't know. But it starts being with God. I see every, every, people come here every week, and I think it is. It's enough. I see that, that you're here and you're with God. I love that. I love that about you. So these are questions of the heart, and when you answer those questions, something happens. You ready for this? You discover where your heart is. And I pray that you have a heart for God because when you discover that you have a heart for God, then you'll find yourself asking for God things and not worldly things. And if you do ask for those worldly things, it's to serve God. It's for his purpose. You ask for things that will help you do greater works. And so here we are. What is a greater work? And you're probably thinking grand, something grand. Well, let's put that into perspective. And, and here, I'm going to repeat this because this is so important for every Christian to understand. A greater work is a work that you cannot accomplish apart from God's Holy Spirit. That's a greater work. Again, a greater work is a work that you cannot accomplish apart from God's Holy Spirit. Last week, we remembered Pentecost, when the Holy Spirit came down and rested upon the disciples of Jesus. And because of that, they went on to do greater works. But consider this, before the Holy Spirit came, 10 days prior to that, Jesus told them to wait in Jerusalem for the Holy Spirit to come. In other words, don't go out yet and witness. You're not fully equipped yet. Just wait. And they waited. Can you imagine what would have happened if they didn't wait? If they went out into the streets of Jerusalem and started witnessing without being empowered by the Holy Spirit, they would have done works, yes, but not greater works. Because they wouldn't have had, been empowered by the Holy Spirit to do greater works. Think about this one. If they went out ahead of the Spirit, okay, they're stepping in front of God, aren't they? You're going ahead. And we all hear that saying, get behind me, Satan. But when you do this, you just said, get behind me, Jesus. Let that one sink in. 
Wait for the Spirit. Pray to the Spirit. Let the Spirit work through you. Some time ago, I preached a sermon on impossible things, and I emphasized that we need to be a people that God could accomplish uh, impossible things through, like change the world. And that's a greater work. And changing the world sounds like a monumental task, and that's why I believe that God wants you to start by changing your world, the world that you know. And so it turns out that the best place to do a greater work is with the person you see in the mirror. What greater works is God wanting to do through that person? Again, you might be thinking very grand stuff here. Think about this. Perhaps a greater work is a deeper prayer life. You can't do that without the Holy Spirit. Remember what I said greater work was. Maybe it's time to finally... Let the Holy Spirit guide you in forgiveness of that one person. Maybe it's that. That's definitely a greater work. That's very difficult. Maybe a greater work is raising up a family in God's word. Maybe that's a greater work. It's an ongoing greater work. That is difficult to do, and you can't do it without the Holy Spirit. Perhaps, get this one, perhaps it's something so simple as smiling or taking the time to be a presence to a person in need. Think about that. Something small to you, but definitely greater to them. That's a greater work. Because the Holy Spirit goes through that smile and says, you are loved, I appreciate you. That's a greater work. Maybe it's joining a small group at church, or how about this one, or even starting one. A greater work. God is definitely calling all of us to do some sort of greater work, and he's doing it constantly in our lives. And it's those things that we cannot accomplish without God. Sometimes we're a little angry, and the Holy Spirit says, calm down. That's a greater work, because now you have the task of calming down and working with the Spirit. A greater work. I'm going to leave you right now to think about all these things, and and here's my closing prompt that I want, to, I want this to stick with you all week until next week, okay? God wants to do a greater work through you. Do you desire to do a greater work for God? Think about Elisha. Is it enough to be with God? Is it enough just to have his presence? Again, God wants to do a greater work through you. Do you desire to do a greater work for God. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. We all say? Amen. Amen.